Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. How many are ready today? Amen. Anybody anticipating what God is going to do today? Because he's going to do something. Amen. Um, Please stand with me if you have your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah. While you're turning there, I do want to take a moment and honor our pastor. I love you, pastor. Sister Valerie, your family. I give honor to Brother Roberts as well, thanking them for the opportunity to teach this morning. I also give honor to my wife, who's been very busy over the last couple days, keeping our house and me in order, and I thank her and love her. God bless me with an awesome wife. Amen. Thank you. Somebody tell her I said it. That's... You all are my witnesses this morning, so somebody tell her what I said, and remind me to tell her again. It's all right. I can't tell her enough, right? All right, if you're there with me, we're going to start in uh, chapter one, and we're only going to read three verses this morning. It says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. In verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Lord, God, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your presence, Lord. I pray, God, help every one of us today, oh God, glean from your word, God. Challenge us, convict us, draw us closer to you, God, and not further from you this morning, God. I pray, thank you for your word. God, let it fall on good ground today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you guys can see, the title of my teaching this morning is pretty simple. Unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Before we jump in, you know, jump straight into this morning's lesson, I'd like to take you on a trip through memory lane. So kick your imagination into gear, everybody. Get your thinking caps on. Get your imagination activated for a minute. I promise you uh, this trip is not too crazy. But I want you to remember some childhood stories from when you were a kid. Just kind of remember what were the stories that you heard as you were a child. My dad's kind of looking at me saying, please don't tell anybody the stories that I I taught you as a child. Um, But many of us grew up hearing fairy tales. Did anybody? 
or the more proper term would be folk tales or fables. And for my generation especially, don't mistake the stories I'm talking about with what you might see on a TV screen. Those aren't the, the stories I'm talking about. It's not the same as what we see from Disney today. In fact, these children's stories, many of you guys probably can remember, you know, Disney is the one that kind of retook those stories and then repurposed them and made them famous. But they came long before Disney. They predate Disney, if I could say it that way. And the story I'm going to bring up in a minute actually was created long before even the United States of America was formed. And even as I put this together, I'll admit I struggled myself to remember some of these folk tales that were taught to me at a young age. And if I can struggle to remember them, I'm only, you know, I'm a young, I'm a young strapping 30-year-old. Um, if I'm struggling to remember them, then I fear that my children and my grandchildren, as they get older, these stories will probably forever be lost and never heard again amongst their generation. But the stories I'm referencing are stories like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, The Three Little Pigs, Jack and the Beanstalk, Rumpelstiltskin, Pinocchio, and the Gingerbread Man. Anybody remember those stories when you were a kid, right? Disney didn't have nothing on them. Most of us can recall them, and if you can't, maybe you just sort of remember the moral of the story. But I'd like to draw your attention to one such tale this morning. How many of you remember the story of Little Red Riding Hood? Little Red Riding Hood. I don't know where she was riding, but Little Red Riding Hood. The most famous rendition of this story came actually from a French author way back in the 1600s. And most of us remember the story, but it revolves around a little girl called Little Red Riding Hood. And in Perrault, which is the author, the French author, in his particular version of this story, she's named after her red riding cape or her cloak that she wears. And so this girl, Little Red Riding Hood, she was sent by her mother. Everybody say her mother. That was how she got on this little trail that she was going on, her mother sent her through the woods to deliver food to her sickly grandmother. And in the original version of the story, her mother had ordered her specifically to stay strictly on the path. Little Red, don't get off the path. Stay on the path. And the reason why, we know, right? A big bad wolf wants to eat the little girl and the food that she's carrying in her basket. And so he secretly stalks her behind trees and bushes and shrubs and patches of grass. How many know we have an enemy that stalks us, right? He's secretly stalking her, and, and as she's on this path, he approaches Little Red Riding Hood, who, this is where the story kind of in my mind feels a little weird, but somehow Little Red Riding Hood naively tells him where she is going. Poor, poor girl. Some of y'all naively tell the enemy where you're going. But I'm digesting here or divesting for a second. He suggests that Little Red Riding Hood, go pick some flowers for a present for your grandmother, which she does, right? Who wouldn't want a present 
But in the meantime, while she strays off of her path that her mother told her to stay on, he decides to go to her grandmother's house, and he gains entry by pretending to be the grandmother. We know the story. In the original version of this story, though, he actually eats the grandmother. He swallows the grandmother whole. In the stories you guys might remember, he locks her in the closet. Those are other versions of this story. But in the original version, he eats the grandmother whole and waits for the girl and disguises himself as the grandmother. When the girl arrives, she noticed that her grandmother looks strange, right? Little Red Riding Hood says, what a deep voice you has. And the wolf says, anybody remember? The better to greet you with, responds the wolf. Then Little Red Riding Hood says, goodness, what big eyes you have. What does the wolf say? Better to see you with. Now you guys are starting to remember. And then she says, and what big hands you have. And he responds with, the better to hug or the better to embrace you with. And lastly, she says, what a big mouth you have, which he responds to the better to eat you with, right? At which point in the original version of the story, the wolf jumps out of the bed and he eats her too. That's what happens in the original version of the story. Such a dark story. Then in the original version of the story, after eating the grandmother and Little Red Riding Hood, he has to take a break. He falls asleep. And in this French version of the story, um, you know, the tale kind of diverts, and this is where all these other branches of Little Red Riding Hood kind of take root. But in the most popular versions of the story, there's a woodcutter or a huntsman or a hunter that ends up coming to the rescue. He finds this wolf that is asleep, and Little Red Riding Hood and her grandmother are in the wolf's belly. This hunter cuts open the wolf as he's sleeping to rescue Little Red Riding Hood and her grandmother. It's very, very intense. But the wolf still sleep. Then he fills the wolf. Now that he pulls, you know, the people out, he fills the wolf with stones. And then when the wolf awakes and tries to flee, the stones cause him to collapse and die. That's the original version of the story. Crazy, right? Let's get to kind of the 2000 era story of it. Sanitized versions of the story <laughs> have the grandmother, as we know, maybe locked in a closet instead of being eaten. And some have now Little Red Riding Hood saved by a lumberjack or, again, as a, a hunter. And the hunter shows up, kills the wolf with his axe. And so the moral of the story is this tale makes a clear contrast between the safe world of the past and the dangers of the forest. Mainly, it warns us about the dangers of not obeying one's parents or one's mother and the importance of staying on the path. And so as I try to relate, you guys are like Little Red Riding Hood and Jonah. What in the world? As I try to relate these two stories, how much simpler would the story had been had Little Red Riding Hood just stayed on the path? How much simpler would the story had been had Jonah simply obeyed the voice of the, God, of the Lord? But yet he too, just like Little Red Riding Hood, decides to stray from the path. 
make sure that's not my phone. Wow. And so I want us to look closer at the story of Jonah and maybe gain some insight, insight into his character and the character of God. How many enjoy the story of Jonah? Anybody? Is it a popular story in your top five, your top three maybe, stories in the Bible? It's not on mine. Sorry. It's not. Um, but to most of us church folks, it is a very popular story from the Bible. And it really is because it stands out. There isn't uh, any other story in the Bible like the story of Jonah. It is very, very unique. And as I began to study Jonah, I also realized that it's also very deep. There's a deep undertone of what God's trying to speak through the story of Jonah. However, when we look at the surface level of the story of Jonah, which we're not going to go extra deep this morning, Jonah is the first person I can ever think of recorded to have been eaten by a sea monster. Long before Moby Dick came along, long before the Loch Ness Monster came along, there was a fish or there was some type of monster that devoured or engulfed Jonah. In Sunday school, as you grew up, you might have heard, heard that it was a whale. When I think about a fish that's big enough to eat a person and then regurgitate them back on the dry land, it's got to be a whale of some sort. If my son was here, Jay would gladly tell you in his imagination it had to have been a big, giant shark. Can't just be big because a big shark's not big enough. It has to be a big, giant shark. But the Bible tells us in, in Jonah 1 and 17, God sent, sent it, and it was actually a great fish. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about fishing, what's the biggest fish you ever caught? Don't exaggerate now. Don't exaggerate. Maybe two chair lengths. Look at your chair. Maybe two. Maybe. Maybe three. Brother Phillips, you've probably seen a couple big fish in your time. A marlin, something a little bit bigger than that. Have you ever seen a fish big enough to swallow a man like you? No. No. I'm thinking something like the whole length of the pew. It's got to be a great, a great big fish. But rewinding the story a little bit more, before the fish encounter, the Bible tells us Jonah was tossed overboard on a ship. And before being tossed overboard on that ship, still going backwards in this story, Jonah owns up to the fact that the ship's predicament, the ship was in a terrible storm. Everyone on the ship feared that they were going to die. The reason that ship was going through what it was going through Jonah admits the whole fact was it was because of him. It was his fault. Rolling the story back some more, before the storm came against the ship, Jonah decided to disobey the command of the Lord. And so there are a lot of lessons we can learn through the story of Jonah. But for a few minutes this morning, I'd like us to look at the beginning of the story. How much simpler could Jonah's story have been had he simply obeyed the command of the Lord? The first point I'd like to make this morning is in our original text, and it's in verse 3. It says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. My first point is very simple. 
Putting distance between ourselves and God's presence and God's grace is not a good idea. It's not a good idea. Don't flee from the presence of God. How many of you have ever tried to run from where God is telling you to go? Anybody? A lot of us, probably at some point, all of us. I think about my kids a little bit. When I tell Josiah, let's go, Josiah thinks it's a game to run from me. I'm like, come on, son, we got to get to church. Anybody run late to church due to children or a spouse? Or maybe you just woke up late and you're really the reason why you're running late. It's not anybody else. It's you. But to make matters worse, it's when you're in a hurry that then it turns to someone else's because it's like, would you just do what I'm asking you to do? Then we can just get the moving. Like, why does it need five, six, seven steps? But it's a game to him, so he wants to run. But just like children, sometimes we run from where God is telling us to go. How did that decision turn out for you when you decided to run from where God was going? Did you find yourself in a storm like Jonah? Did you find yourself dealing with a situation that God really didn't intend for you to end up in that situation. But since we decided to veer off from the path God told us to go, we find ourselves in a storm like Jonah. We find ourselves being tossed on a ship like Jonah. And eventually, hopefully, you don't get eaten by a great fish, but you find yourself in some calamity, and it's like, man, if I had just obeyed what God had told me to do, my life wouldn't be where it's at. You find yourself, you're the, you're the person to blame for your circumstance. And the Bible tells us that was what the result of Jonah's decision led to, the storm and the trial. And you might be saying, you know what, I've never run from God. I've never, I've never run from the Lord. I'd never do that. No, not me. Tell your neighbor, no, not me. If God was right in front of you face to face, if he spoke to you or he spoke to me, if God was sitting right in front of us, most of us would do what he said to do in a heartbeat. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go a little bit deeper here. I would caution, I would caution, or last week Brother Mitchell told us a warning. I would warn you, never say never. Never say, I'd never do that, God. Never say never. For many of us, we don't, or I should say, for me, I don't, nor have I ever heard the audible voice of God. I've never heard it. I never heard God speak from heaven and say, Trey, do this. Never have I heard it. It would be cool if he did, but I've, I've never experienced it like Jonah got to experience. It. I've never heard God say, go here or go there. Say this. Don't say that. I've never heard the voice of God audibly do that. However, I can without a shadow of a doubt say that I have heard and felt the Holy Ghost leading me toward a certain situation or a certain direction, guiding me to pray for a certain individual on maybe even a certain topic. How many have ever heard or felt the Lord prompting you to do something only for you to later dismiss it? Did God really tell me? Hmm. Or maybe you just chose to ignore it. God, I'm going to flip a coin. Was it you or not you? Have anybody ever done that? Just me? I can tell you what. If, if God says, go pray for that person, and I'm like, 
God, somebody, let somebody else go first, and then I'll follow after. I'll follow after them. Everybody in here today, I'll tell you this, you will have the same opportunity as your neighbor in just a few moments. We may not have heard God speak to us audibly out loud, but I will say everyone in this building will have the chance to hear his word preached this morning from this very pulpit. And as the spirit of God moves on each of our hearts and minds, his word is going to urge us to respond. And if you don't see it by now, the word that is preached on this pulpit, behind this pulpit, is just the same as God standing in front of us and speaking to us to do something. Just as plain as if he had called you out by name, face to face, it's the same as as the word that is preached across this pulpit. We'll all have an opportunity to either embrace it or to flee from it. And so I want us to look one more time at verse 3. Typically, when you see words or phrases repeated in Scripture, it's an indication or an attempt from the author to gain your attention. In other words, the author is painting this picture. Pay attention to what I'm saying right now. And in this verse, we see the phrase twice, unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, once at the beginning and once at the end. I said it earlier as my introduction to this point, but it's not a good idea. I don't recommend you to flee from the presence of the Lord. In fact, I'd go beyond that this morning and say it's impossible to flee from the presence of the Lord. Tell your neighbor it's impossible. It's impossible. Let me give you some impossible circumstances in the Bible where people tried to run from the Lord. In Genesis chapter 3, Verses 6 through 11, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They realized they were naked, I'm paraphrasing, and then they tried to hide from God when he came looking for them walking in the garden. They tried to play hide and seek with the Lord, but their game of hide and seek was over really before it ever began because God knew they had ate from the tree, and then Adam and Eve were soon banished from the garden. I'm not sure if David ever really ran from God, but in Psalms chapter 139, starting in verse 7, when I look at this verse, I can probably think maybe David was in a moment where he thought about running from the Lord. And he wrote this, where can I go from your spirit? I'm reading from the NIV version. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, God? If I go up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. Jeremiah 23 in verse 24, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. And finally, Proverbs chapter 15 in verse 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. 
You see, it's not a good idea to flee from the presence of God, but it really is impossible to flee from the presence of God because God sees all. He knows all. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And Jonah, although attempting to flee from God's presence, he never stood a chance at achieving his goal. And what the author is pointing out to us here is that, again, you can't run from the presence of God no matter how hard you try. But what you can do is you can deny it. You can deny the presence of the Lord. How many know God will never force himself on you? He's a gentleman. And so as we look here where we see this phrase twice, understand Tarshish was the most distant and remote location from Nineveh that Jonah could reach. If you, were, if you had a map this morning and you were looking at the, the lower part of Europe, you would see Nineveh all the way over here, kind of above where Israel sits. And Tarshish was all the way kind of where modern-day Portugal is. He would have to cross seas and rivers and a whole landmass, kind of like the crossing of the United States. He would have to cross all the way from where we're at today into maybe Los Angeles, California. That's how far he was trying to get away from Nineveh. And by repeating this point, the author was linking Tarshish with getting as far away from the presence of the Lord as possible because Jonah was trying to escape. And so we're going to ask the logical question to Jonah's escape the temp in a moment, in a moment, but for many reasons I want you to understand that Jonah's attempt to disobey the Lord it wasn't without a tiny bit of reason. Jonah didn't just do it on a whim. I know it seems weird why he would do it, but we're going to kind of answer that question in a minute, but in this particular time of what was going on in the world, Nineveh Nineveh was an old, fierce, and repeated enemy of Israel. Nineveh fought multiple times with Israel in the Scripture. In many battles, the Bible tells us the Assyrians, or the Ninevites, they fought with the children of Israel many, many times, and in a lot of cases, they won the battle. No one from Israel desired to go to Nineveh. Because there was a very good chance that when you walked or stepped foot into Nineveh, you could be killed or captured if they found out who you were, if you were an Israelite. And because Nineveh hated the Israelites, Jonah didn't, there's a good reason Jonah maybe didn't want to go there. Because he didn't want to die, right? But the people of Nineveh, felt the same way about the Israelites as the Israelites felt about them. The same way, sorry, I repeated myself here, but the people from Israel didn't want to go to Nineveh. They hated them. But the Ninevites also hated the people of Israel. And in the story, Nineveh represents the world and darkness. Nineveh represents the world and darkness. And so as I was studying this story, this question kind of arose in my mind when I think about Jonah disobeying what the Lord asked him to do. This may be a little deviation in, in where we're thinking this morning, but I have a question for you, and it's my second point. Where is God's grace most present? Think about that for a moment. Where is the grace of God most present? 
Where is the place you would least expect to find God's grace? Is it in church? Is it in the world? Is it on your job? Is it, where is that place you would least expect to find it? Where do you expect to find the grace of God the most? Let me ask you that question. Kind of put it in your mind for a second. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 tells us that God's grace is sufficient for us. And how many believe that, right? It most certainly is. In our weakness, he is made strong, right? But what about those in the world? What about those who don't know that the Lord is their strength, like we know? Those who don't know or have never heard about the Lord, shouldn't God's grace be extended to them? Or should it only be for us, church folks? We're the ones who need the grace of God the most. No, that's not true. Look back over your life and answer this question. Where would you be without the grace of God? Where would you be? Where would I be without the grace of God? The grace of God gives us more than we deserve. The grace that is there to pick us up every time we fall. Every time we make mistake after mistake, we need God's grace. Nineveh was an, was an enemy to Israel. It represented the world in darkness, yet this story includes God's grace also freely given to them. So let's trade places with Jonah this morning and put ourselves in his shoes. Do you know a person or a place like Nineveh in your world today? Do you know a person or place like Nineveh in your world today? Do you see qualities of Nineveh? Remember, Nineveh represents darkness. It represents the world. Do you see qualities of Nineveh in yourself? And if so, are you fleeing like Jonah did from the presence of the Lord? Because you don't want to touch that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to have to deal with that. So I'm going to flee in the other direction. Are you fleeing from those areas where God is calling you to identify them? Are you fleeing or are you moving towards them in obedience to the Holy Ghost? I challenge you to read the rest of the story. But in Jonah chapter 4, we see that all along, Jonah knew about the grace of God. Jonah, if you look into the story, Jonah's like, God, I knew you'd forgive him. And I still didn't want to go there because I knew that was what you were going to do. We've faced this enemy multiple, multiple, multiple times. And they've even beaten us. But here you are, I know you're going to forgive him, God, but I don't know if I'm ready to. So I'm going to flee in the other direction. Jonah was very deliberate in avoiding the place God was sending him because he knew the character of God. He knew that God would forgive the vilest of people. And really, when I think about that, that should give us hope. It also gives us some revelation into the character of God. The Nineveh that's in your life, the Nineveh that's in my life, the people, the places, those areas of darkness, it tells us that God is very comfortable and active in those places, even if we can't see it. Areas that we resist going to, God's ready to extend his grace in those areas. Those places where we think God is least likely to be, those places we think God's grace is least likely to delve, God is perfectly willing and okay to be in those places. He wants to be with us when we go to those places. So don't fear like you have to go by yourself. 
God isn't surprised, offended, or afraid of any of those places in our lives, those Ninevehs that we deal with every day, those Ninevehs we think we must run from because we don't want to identify them. God is perfectly willing to extend his grace in those areas if we would just let him do it. When God calls us to speak into those those Nineveh areas, we need to draw closer to him instead of away from him. And so here's the question that everybody's probably thinking. Why Nineveh? Why Nineveh? As I was studying and pondering on what to teach this week, I felt like God confirmed this particular lesson for me on Wednesday night. This past week, pastor taught the lesson on how to transform the church from a great culture to a growth culture. And this lesson sort of kind of follows the theme that that pastor was teaching about. Please go back and listen to the lesson if you missed it. But I'm going to paraphrase a little bit this morning for the sake of time. But he taught that in order for us to reach this world, in order for us to reach this city, our city, we have to move beyond these four walls. We can't keep what we have contained in these four walls. We must take it to those in this community. We have to go to them. And there's a lot of similarities to pastor's teaching and this particular story of Jonah where God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, the Bible doesn't record Jonah's thoughts, right? We read those first three scriptures. But again, put ourselves in his shoes and ask this question, why? God tells you, go to Nineveh because I see their wickedness. And the first question a lot of us ask is, why? Why? Why do I have to go to Nineveh? Why couldn't God tell me to go to another country like Egypt or Ethiopia or Moab? Nineveh in this particular time, they're not the only country that is serving all kind of gods. They're not the only polytheistic country around, right? There are a whole lot of wicked countries like Nineveh. Why in particular, God, are you asking me to go there? Why can't you ask me to go somewhere else? And in fact, God, why are you asking me now? Can I go later? Can you give me some time to think about how I'm going to do this? Why do I have to go now? These are questions that hit my mind. Anybody, you would ask the same, right? Why me? Why does it have to be me? Why can't you ask my brother or my sister? Why Jonah? Why did Jonah get this responsibility? Why can't so-and-so have this opportunity? Why does it have to be me? Why do I have to go there? Why can't they come to me? Ain't it convenient? Why can't this world just come to me? I'll tell them about the Lord. Why why can't they come to me? Why can't they just get this revelation straight from you, God? Why, Why just go there? Why can't you just, you speaking to me audibly, Lord, why can't you just speak to them? Why can't, why, 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 why? These questions hit us. And when God tells us to do something, we do the same. Why, God? Why? I need to know every detail. Why do you need me to do this? Why do you need me to do that? When we should just simply obey what God is asking us to do. And this was, this was my last question, and this is where I felt God begin to kind of convict me on this lesson. Why, when, we, when I heard pastors teaching this week, my question was this, why can't they just come to the church? 
We got a big sign out there. They see it every time they drive by. Come on in. Come on in. Why do I have to go to Nineveh? They can just come in. And this is, again, where I felt God convict me. And as I was just working this all out, I felt the Holy Ghost speak to me. And it was crazy. It was like a back and forth conversation. Have you ever had a conversation with the Lord where you're just like, boom. And I was doing it. I was throwing out scripture as it came to me. God, you said, John chapter 12 and 32, if I be lifted up, God, if you be lifted up, you'll draw all men unto you. God, I'm doing my part. I'm lifting you up. Why can't they just come to the church? I'm lifting you up. I'm doing what you asked me to do. You said you draw them in, God. Why are you asking me to go to them when you said you would draw them in if I lift you up? John 6 and 44, no man can come unto me except the Father bid him. God, you know, none of us are in here by accident. God, you're leading them to come. Why can't they just come to the church? Why do I have to go to Nineveh? Why do I have to go out there when they can just come here? And I felt this so strong. I felt God tell me this. And please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say this morning. But I I really felt God speak this to me. This is what God's question was to me after I started questioning him on why. He said this. Please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say this morning. Please don't. God said this. What's leading you, Trey, to believe that Nineveh wants to come to church? Why would they want to come? Why would their first thought be to drive into this church? Why would they desire to come to a church building or location? I, I mean, God's asking me this through the Holy Ghost. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, God, who doesn't want to come to church? It's awesome. My kids love coming. I love coming to church. But that's not the first thought that Nineveh has. God is telling me this. What if you look in the reverse tray? What if I'm drawing you to Nineveh? Instead of drawing them to church, what if the drawing is me drawing you to them? Because what that person in Nineveh needs, this is God speaking to me, What that person in Nineveh needs to see and hear is the part of me that I placed in you. They need to see the me that is placed on the inside of you. And the reason why God was telling me, I can't call anyone besides you, Jonah. I can't call anyone besides you, Trey, or insert your name on the dotted line here. The reason I can't call someone else to do it is because the one person that Nineveh needs to hear from is you. They won't receive the message that I want you to say to them if somebody else goes in your place. They don't have, we all have the same Holy Ghost in us, but they don't have the same experiences that you have. They don't have the same testimony that you have. God was telling me, I've chosen you to go to them for such a time as this. Please, again, don't get what I'm saying wrong this morning. And pastor, as you walk back in, please correct me if I'm out of line. But God was saying, I'm not saying our road to go out towards Nineveh needs to take us to the club or take us to the bar. Please don't misunderstand. That's not what I'm talking about in going out to reach Nineveh. Please, that's not. 
But I felt God tell me they may never step foot inside Living Hope, but they will gladly sit across you from a dinner table. They will gladly be reached in that manner. And the reason is God was telling me the peace, the presence, the joy of God that we feel, what we feel inside these four walls. It's not tethered to just this location or this particular event. Reaching our world, reaching Nineveh doesn't mean we lose out on those things, but it means we allow Nineveh to experience the grace of God like we experience the grace of God. We have to understand God is telling us through Jonah that there really is no place where he's not present and working. God's telling us that the joy we feel as we're running off to Tarshish, that joy we feel isn't absent in Nineveh. It's not absent when we go out to reach those people, but it's very much alive because God is everywhere. And so before I bring it to a close this morning, I like to do somewhat of a practical exercise to really help us grasp why we must trust in the Lord instead of fleeing from his presence. So I asked for two volunteers this morning, if I can get Sister Cameron and Sister Jessica up here. I already kind of gave them their, uh, their designated task, but Cameron is gonna play God in this manner. He's gonna play God. You're not God, I'm sorry, Cameron. And Jessica is gonna play Jonah. And so here's what I would like you to do. Please turn and face that direction for me. This is what I want you to do. You're going to say, Jessica, go to Nineveh. Jessica, go to Nineveh. All right. Now, you're going to play Jonah or Jessica in this, in this sense. Here's what I want you to do for the next 10 or 15 seconds. God has given you a command. All I want you to do is follow him or follow her. All right? So wherever Cameron goes, you go for the next 15 seconds. Cameron, you can make zigzags. You can go wherever you want. Jessica's following, 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 following. You can make your way back over here. All right. Make your way back where you started. All right. So that's scenario number one. Okay. Jessica, you saw where Cameron was leading you, right? All right. So here's scenario number two. Same test. Jessica, close your eyes. What are you supposed to tell, tell Jessica? Uh, go to Nineveh. All right. You may begin. Go. Go. Keep your eyes closed. All right. Make your, make your way back to where you started. Keep your eyes closed. Jessica? Are you there yet? Are you there yet? Okay, you can open your eyes. Give us a hand clap for my volunteers this morning. So every one of us has at some time played the game follow the leader. Let me ask you this question. We know God leads us, right? And as, as, as children of God, we obey his commands. Which would you prefer, to be led on a journey with your eyes open or your eyes closed? Anybody? A lot of us would say open. Jessica, you can agree it was a lot easier with your eyes open, right? It's easier to follow the leader when you can see where you're being led. 
One, it makes us feel more in control, right? How many feel out of control when you can't see where God is leading you? There's a sense of security when we have our eyes open because, ooh, there's a roadblock here. God just steps over that roadblock. But for us, we kind of got to navigate around it. We don't, we're not God, right? We can't just jump over mountains and, and do things. So we kind of got to navigate around a little bit. But here's a question for you. When following the leader, when following after God, who's in control when your eyes are open and when your eyes are closed? He is. He's still in control, right? He's still in control whether we see it or whether we don't see it. Regardless of if your eyes are open or closed, the path God has asked you to walk is out of your control when he's the one taking the lead. But how many of us, we don't like that. We don't like that feeling when our eyes are closed. We don't like that losing that sense of control. We got to know every detail. Why, God? Why? 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 Why this? Why that? Why? Why now? When God is just saying, go. Go to Nineveh. Tell them. Tell them what I've asked you to tell them. But yet with our eyes closed and wandering, I think I'm going to go back to where I know it's safe, right? How many like walking around in the dark at home? No? Well, you got to turn every light on. Boom, 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 boom. Hop circuit breakers. Boom. Just so you can see where you're going. Right? Now let me ask you this question. If having your eyes open doesn't control how good the path is, What's the determining factor on whether the path you're being led on is good or bad? What's the determining factor? God's still leading us, but we say, oh, God, I don't want to go there. Who determines whether where God is leading us is good or bad? We do. We do. Can't see you, Lord. That's not good. Take a step back. Please stand with me as I come to a close. When I look at this story of Jonah, is Jonah trying to teach us that it's important that we are good or that the one who leads us is good? How would it impact your choices when God tells you go to Nineveh? How would it impact your choices and the direction of your life if you just placed your trust in God? Or do you have to see exactly where God is telling you to go? You got to see and know every detail of the path that he's asking you to go on. Little Red Riding Hood, don't stray from the path. There's some dark things in there, you know. But let me ask you this. If God was leading you to a cliff, He's like, let's go. You get to the edge of that cliff. Mm, I don't know about this, God. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Or do you not trust him? Are you fleeing unto a place you think is better? Are you taking a path that you think is better away from the presence of the Lord, like Jonah? Or why can't you just make it easy and just obey? Would you fear less 
when faced with difficult situations. We know God is with us, right? But do you really know God's with you? You got your eyes closed. You still know God's with you? I can't see that turn in the road, God. Are you still there? Are you still there, Lord? Are you still leading me to reach this, this person, God? They've not answered my call for the last five times. They're ducking me when I go into Panera, God. Are you really still leading me to reach out to them? Or I'm, I'm just going to give up on that. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to Tarshish. Would you feel more secure in dark places if you knew it was all up to you, but that God was there with you as well? Jonah, remember, I'm sorry, Nineveh represents the darkness in this world. And yes, in order to have a growth culture, Pastor, we got to get outside of these four walls. But don't let what God is telling you or leading you or giving you the command to do, don't choose to disregard that this morning. Don't flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord because God wouldn't command you to go there. He wouldn't command us to reach this community if God wasn't already going to make a way and extend his grace and do what he said he was going to do in the first place. Would you bow your heads with me as we close this morning? God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray for every person in here, Lord. We all have a Nineveh in our life. God, we all have places of darkness, God, and, and, and fear, God, of, of what's in the dark and what's around corners that we can't see, Lord. But I pray, God, help us. God, not to flee from your presence, Lord. God, don't let us get further and further away from where you're leading us to go, God. But with boldness, God, and with a trust in you, God, help us to simply obey your command. God, I don't think any of us want to be in a storm, God, or placed in the belly of some great fish, God, because we decided to turn and go the other way. God, help us, God, to trust after where you're leading us. God, I pray, let us obey your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd. Dot com. So I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.